Welcome to the Your Financial Planner Now What podcast, an extension of the Dallas Meetup. My name is Hannah Moore, CFP and owner of Guiding Wealth Management and one of the meeting co-presenters. Your Financial Planner Now What was a brainchild of Patrick Darty and Trudy Turner and significantly helped me when I started as a financial planner. That's because Your Financial Planner Now What exists to help those who are new or exploring the profession. The first topic for 2016 is designations, and our first interview is with Neil Maxwell, owner of Maxwell Wealth Planning. And the designation we're talking about today is the EA, the Enrolled Agent. So without further ado, let's jump right in. Thanks for joining me, Neil. Can you give us a brief picture of your background in the financial planning field and an introduction into who you are? Yeah, definitely. And thanks for having me on the show. So my name is Neil Maxwell. I'm a certified financial planner and enrolled agent, uh, which is an IRS designation that allows me to complete tax returns and represent people in front of the IRS if they're getting audited. And I've been an advisor now for 11 years and a CFP since 2010, so we're almost into 2016 here. And um, I've worked at a lot of different places. I worked at a bank, a big bank, for five years as an advisor. I worked at uh, a regional broker-dealer, um, Edward Jones, where I did the knocking on doors thing and um, built the book that way. And then I worked at PricewaterhouseCoopers, where I traveled around the countryside giving um, financial planning workshops to executives of BP and PepsiCo and, and uh, companies like that. So that was a good experience. A lot of travel, though, and now I own an RIA. I purchased a small RIA last year, and um, I've been growing that and revamping what I want that to look like. So does that answer your question? Absolutely. So did you always know that you wanted to go into the financial planning field, or how did you come into it? Well, I have a little bit of an interesting story that way because um, so I started off going to school for music. I played guitar since I was four years old, and thought I was going to be a rock star for the rest of my life. And then um, when I figured out that wasn't what was going to work for me, my next best thing was to go to Colorado and go skiing. So I went out here to college. And, <laughs> um, but I ended up doing economics because I really enjoyed the social applications for economics. And then um, I had a loss in my family, which really made me want to beef up my financial education so that I could help my family member kind of get through that. And so I had a drive that way. Um, so I, I guess I kind of, I was kind of aimed in that direction. And then something happened in my personal life where I didn't really feel like I had a lot of options to do other things. So I stuck with what what I was doing and and um, and kept going forward. That's really neat. There's so many stories I hear of people where their personal life brought them into their professional career. Like, that's really neat. Yeah. So the purpose of this interview was to kind of, was to talk about designations and most of the people listening, you know, most likely on that financial planning CFP track, but I want to talk about your enrolled agent um, designation. So how did you, why did, what is the enrolled agent? That's a good question. Um, so, Enrolled agents are usually tax preparers, I would say, and um, a lot of times 
the information in your old age. And there's three tests. It focuses on individual taxation, business taxation, and then um, sort of the laws and regs is the third test that goes along with how you're going to be practicing. Um, and the real reason that I got the enrolled agent was I felt for where I wanted to be in my career and who I wanted to be helping, that I really needed to beef up my tax knowledge because my background was more in the financial sales side of things on the front end and then became a financial planner where I learned what I didn't know was uh, on the financial sales side. And so um, I just felt like I was doing a disservice to my clients by not knowing all the tax side of things. And as a lot of people might know, if you work for a broker-dealer, or you might not know, is that those advisors can't help people with taxes at all. In fact, they say, you know, I'm a top-tier tax advisor. And for what I'm doing for people, that doesn't really work because at a certain level, um, if you hold yourself out there as a fiduciary and you're going to do what's in the client's best interest, you really need to understand the, the different tax forces at play and how that goes into their portfolios and their financial lives. So, so did you get your – did you become an enrolled agent after getting your CFP? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was CFP 2010, and then um, EA I just – I got in 14, 2014. March of, or April or somewhere in there is when I passed the third test. And I was working. I studied for it at night. Mainly, um, I was working at PricewaterhouseCoopers and on the road a lot, so I'd study for it in my my spare time. And um, it's not—I don't want to say it's. I think anyone can work through any kind of test. Meaning, you get the you get the books, you get the tests, and you just outwork the test. Same with the CFP; you just have to work harder than what what's expected of you on the test. And so, but I think that. The real value for getting any designation, in my opinion, is the world that it brings you into. Because once you get the CFP or you get the EA, now you've got all the continuing education that goes along with that. And that's where you really start to add value because you, people are talking around you about what the issues are and what what is working, what isn't working, what should you be careful about. And, um, and then you get access to all the other professionals that, that have that designation too, you guys have something in common and you've got a starting place with them. And I think that's where the biggest value comes as far as personal development is after you get the designation. That's really interesting. So have you, so you're developing relationships with other enrolled agents? Well, um, let's just say like if I met right now, I'm not active in pursuing other enrolled agents, but when I was at a conference, for example, I was an FPA B Boston. Um, one of the one person that I met there, he's also a CFPEA. There's not a lot of us running around right now, um, and he came from a more of a tax background than I did. So we had some real interesting ideas to trade because I had more ideas on the planning side of things, and he had more ideas on the tax side of things, and. It really made for um, it made for a lot of a lot of growth, I think, for both of us. And we stay in touch now, and I help him with things. And I know that if I need help, I can call him. Even if it's like marketing ideas and things, you know, like 
what's worked for you, what isn't, hasn't worked for you. Um, That's really neat. Yeah, I think that professional network is one of the most valuable assets that you can have. Yeah, I think I think so too. I, I really do because otherwise you're just kind of figuring it out by yourself. And I think what people should know when they're getting started is that, you know, everyone else in the business, in the industry that you're in, whatever it is, whether it's whatever you go to do, there's not enough room in society, I think, for beginners. Everyone wants to be an expert right away. And um, and everyone who's been there, that we've been in your spot and we're willing to help you. I think that's an important message for people to get that are, that are thinking about pursuing this career long term. It's a great career, I think. It's a lot of work, but it's got a lot of a lot of payoffs too. Yeah, I couldn't agree anymore with you. I think it's such a and there's such a need for young people. Like it's like the industry needs or the profession needs young people to come in. Yeah. Right now. And I think too, like it's it, you know, you can practice however you want to, but it can be such a caring science. My wife, she works in the neonatal intensive care unit um, for Children's Hospital. And so she's, it's a caring science. And our our thing can be that too. I mean, we can really care for people and, and help um, help them in their lives get to a place where they're more fulfilled. And that doesn't always mean having more money. Um, but... It's really a unique way to help people that is part art and part science. And designations, I think, are important. Um, and, then, and also, I think they give you confidence a, a little bit. There's a confidence bump that comes with getting designations, too, um, which I think is good. And that comes through when you're working with clients. So I want to jump into, like, some of the nitty-gritties of the EA. So how much did it cost? Like, what... What did that look like? So I was at Pricewaterhouse when I did that, and they paid for it, and I forget what my allowance was. It was like $4,000 maybe, but you can get it done. Uh, Fast Forward Academy is one of the vendors. That's who I studied through. Not that I'm not plugging them or anything, but that's what one who I used. But I think it's less. It, it, it's probably less than what the CFP is these days, you know. I think that you can take the tests for like $150 each or $180 each or something, and then it's just the books and studying up to it. So you probably get it done for less than $2,000. So how much, compared to the CFP, what was the study level? Oh, boy. Um, so when I took the CFP, I was working as a, an advisor at the bank and just trying to study, fit it in, and... I thought I didn't have a lot of time back then, but CFP for me was harder because it was a two-day test. It was spread out. It was 10 hours straight. You know, you had the case study thing, um, and it wasn't as much as, when I took it, it wasn't as much as in a controlled environment. Um, they kind of rented different rooms around town to run the tests. And so I think the CFP is a lot harder just because it's like, a, a larger body of information. Um, but having said that, the EA is more specific. So in the CFP, tax is one of the five areas, or six areas now. And 
EA is three tests just on tax. And if you haven't prepared a lot of tax returns before, it's probably going to be a lot of new information for you, especially on the business side of things. And if you're in financial planning, uh, personal financial planning, and you've taken the CFP, you probably don't have, you probably never really even got a lot of the business um, side of things. But here's one other thing. One other big reason I think the EA is really good. It's basically going to school for running your own business. I mean, they don't market it that way, and or the IRS wouldn't tell you that, but if you're going to be a business owner, you better darn make sure you understand what the tax rules and regs are, everything from how to form your business. You're going to be an LLC. You're going to be a corporation. Um, you're going to issue shares of stock. Are you going to... All, all that stuff, and then um, as you start to work with higher net worth clients too, you know they're going to be business owners probably too. Uh, a lot of the wealth is, is in that space, so it's just really, I think it's a good, a good uh, baseline of information that anyone who thinks they're going to own their own business should get. I will tell you though, I don't know how much clients care about it. I mean, I don't really have a way to measure that, but um, a lot of places really don't put a lot of value in designations. A lot of broker-dealers, for example, could care less about designations because it's true that it would be true to say that designations really aren't going to help you get clients. It's who, it's how many times you get in front of people and try to convince them to buy your services. If you do that enough times, enough people say yes, and then you've got a job. Um, designations aren't really going to do that for you. Um, but if you're more of an internal-facing person, I think it's a no-brainer to get some designations, especially if the company will help fund it, um, you know, invest in yourself. So do you do any client tax returns right now? I do. Um, not a lot. So my business is set up where I charge a, a retainer fee for my services, um, not monthly, I bill quarterly, and um, it's, it's based on net worth, and so if I have, if there's two scenarios where I'll do someone's taxes. The first is they're paying a, a, a CPA firm thousands of dollars a year to do their taxes, and Especially when I get involved, I've got to talk to the CPA and get information from them, and so now they're billing that time out to the client, and it just isn't efficient for the client. So I, I say, I'll, I'll say, you know, maybe not the first year, but I'll, if they want me to, I'll take it over for them. Um, but they also have to be above a certain level. It really has to. I have to feel that it's going to add a lot of value for their planning for me to know that stuff already. Um, what I mean by that is is when you're doing someone's taxes, I mean, that's their whole financial lives. And so if they have a complicated situation and you're doing complicated tax planning, because CFPs, we can do tax planning for people. But you're saying that one of the big benefits is when you can streamline it for the client. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, you can streamline it for the client. And there's two scenarios in which I do it. One is basically when the retainer fee is high enough and it makes it, in a, in a situation is complicated enough where it, it dictates me doing it. Um, I'm not I'm not out there competing for like the hundred dollar form tax returns or 
Um, I don't really even do it for the money at all. I just do it for the added value for clients. And on the front end, here's something that I think is valuable for people on both designations, CFP and EA. When I got the CFP, part of the reason I got the CFP is because someone came into where I was working. We had a group that dealt with the high net worth clients. And I said, well, why would I refer to you when I could do it myself? And they said, well, because I'm a CFP. And so internally, I kind of said to myself, well, okay, then I'm just going to go ahead and get that. (laughs) Um, Same with the EA. I mean, uh, there's a lot of good tax preparers out there, a lot of good tax firms. Um, But working with CPA or tax tax firms isn't always the easiest thing to do. And people seem to – they trust their tax person a lot. I mean, I was just talking to someone yesterday, actually, who just heard that on their 2009 taxes, they owed an extra $60,000, and that if the mistake carries forward, it's going to be another 100000 probably. And, oh, my gosh. Uh, and then you listen to him talk about his tax advisor, and it's like, oh, no, he knows what he's doing. He's got these big accounts. He's got those big accounts. No question about it. And and I'm thinking to myself, well, he doesn't know what he's doing that well. <laughs> he's got an extra 106000 you've got to send out over the next year because of mistakes he made in the past. So um, tax, just because people are trained in tax doesn't make them the, the best person to be helping them with their planning. And so part of that was perception. If, if, if people perceive tax professionals as, as knowing more, which I suppose it's true, they do know more, so I just decided to go and learn more. That's, I love that attitude, the I need to learn more, and so I'm just going to go do it. <laughs> Yeah, it's kind of like building it with the backwards, I suppose. What, what do you want to be doing for people? What value do you want to be providing? And then going out and obtaining that value. And just the journey is more difficult than you thought it was going to be. Well, it's always a little more difficult than you thought it was going to be from the beginning. But I don't have any regrets. I think looking back, was all the, I'm glad that I got all of those out of the way. And by the way, I, I didn't mention this, but I'm one and I started when I was 20 so like the earlier you can get this stuff out of the way the the more you can focus on um, larger things in the future I have a couple questions just kind of about your background because you're not I don't want to say not the traditional advisor that you run into but you have a sales background would you identify with that of having a sales background Um, I mean I guess when I got started, I didn't have any work unless I could convince somebody to work with me. So I went through some training programs with different companies that, you know, that's kind of what they hammered into us is learning the words of the business. The reality is, as a broker, you are selling financial products. And I was a 37, 65, 66 broker for at least eight years anyway. So. So, yeah, I I have a sales background. A lot of young financial planners, I mean, one of the most common things that I hear is I don't don't want to have to sell something. Like, I don't want to have to be in sales. What is your response to that that young advisor and that mindset? That's a great question. Um, So there are some people that that could – be very, very true for, and it's good for you to explore that and know that about yourself, but just to say it 
isn't enough. You really have to dig into it and say, okay, sales sales isn't for me, but what is sales? I mean, sales is like, when you say sales, it has a negative connotation with it. Um, and if if you think about it, let's say there's two options for a client, option A and option B, and a salesperson is going to talk about features and benefits. Not everybody's like this, but there's a good chance that if option A pays you a lot more than option B, then the salesperson is going to, they're incented now to sell you option A. So they're going to tell you the features and benefits of option A, probably. And it's not their job as a salesperson to tell you the limitations of option A and how it doesn't work for your situation. Okay? Um, but I have a background in sales, and for option A and for option B, I'm going to give the client the pros and cons of each. In other words, I'm going to, I'm going to give them the advantages to their situation and the con and the negatives to their situation. And I'm going to spend just as much time on the negatives as I am the positives. And that's the difference between a salesperson and a real advisor, someone who's in a capacity to help people, is um, talking about what the negatives of the situation is along with the positives. And so whether you have a sales background or an engineering background, it doesn't really matter as long as you do both sides of that. And I think sales people think, well, I'm convincing someone, I'm like strong-arming someone into doing something. And that's because there are sales jobs like that, right? In life, we're all selling ourselves all the time. I mean, to say that that I don't want to do sales is kind of, um, I don't know, idealistic, I think, in some in some respects. One of the comments I had when you were talking about the EA is just like, I needed to learn it, so I went and got this designation. So, I mean, would you say that, quote, sales is something that a young advisor can learn? Absolutely. Like, if they're not naturally wired that way? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Boy, some of the most successful advisors I have met have been introverted and um, not like your cliche salesperson, but they slow down, they analyze when things do come out of their mouth, it's for a reason. Um, And there's no limitations beyond what you put on yourself as far as learning sales. I mean, there's a thousand books out there. You go to Amazon, buy the top three of them. Best sellers, you probably have a good start. You're probably 75% of the way there, actually. <laughs> that's that's great. I think we pigeonhole ourselves so many times, but we don't want to do without exploring what that would actually look like. Yeah, I think I think that's true. And I think I've been reading a book recently, <laughs> and the book, which I know you've read too, which is Essentialism, what I like is, well, one concept I really like is we make choices at every step of the road. And so when you say, I can't do that, or I can't do sales in this example, you've just made a choice to limit yourself on learning anything about sales. Really, I think that that's the opposite of the attitude you should have. It's, okay, well, maybe I'm not, I'm not so naturally inclined to do this, but do I really even know what this is? It's just about stepping up to the plate and trying things and then and and learning from them. And at the end of the day, if you've tried something and then it's not for you, then fine, take that off of 
to make that choice to take that off of your plate. But we make so many choices that we don't even give ourselves the opportunity to control. And I think that's a little that's a little sad. If you could just start over, knowing mm-hmm. everything that you've you know throughout your entire career so far, how would you I guess do things differently? Not do things um, differently, or what would be your more ideal path? You know, I, I think some good advice for people getting started is go somewhere where you can get a salary, where you can learn something. It doesn't really what matter, I think. I don't really think it matters what part of the, the business you're learning about. Um, obviously, the higher paid positions are more of the business development type things, um, or, or potentially higher paying, I should say. And the support roles, I think it's hard to get out of support roles Sometimes um, those don't. I don't think a lot of people go from support to business development. But if you're the kind of person that that can learn it all and 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 can point to left field of where you want to be, I mean, it doesn't matter if you're support or sales. You just got to talk to the people around you. And so to surmise what I just said, I would get a job where I have a salary. I would talk to as many people as possible and ask them what they like and what they don't like and just like what you asked me, what would you do differently? And um, really try to get someone to take you under their wing a little bit. I mean, if you're working for a company and you know there are stakeholders above you that want that need you to stay there and, and be successful and they want you to be happy. And, um, and so talk to those people. And so have you found mentors throughout your career or those people to take you under their wings? Yeah, I've been very blessed. I've had a lot of mentors that um, I think Isaac Newton said that, you know, the only reason I was able to see so far is because I stood on the shoulders of giants. And um, in my journey, I've really had a lot of giants both in our industry and outside in other industries that have taught me a lot of things. And so if I wanted to know about just about anything, I think I've got someone on that I can call to ask. And that's that's pretty priceless. And especially in this day and age with like LinkedIn and all that stuff. Everyone everyone wants to talk to everyone. It's like, yeah, they might want to tell you about them, but then you tell them about you and maybe you find something in common and you can make it productive. But talking to people is huge. And 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 there's been studies done that if you know, when you get to a company, if you get engaged in the culture and go to the events then you're going to stay and be happier. And so why wouldn't you want to give yourself that chance? It's kind of like in college, um, there's a stat that says how well you're going to do is directly correlated to how many times you go to class. And I'm not going to sit here and say I went to every single class all the time, but that stuck with me. And so I really made the effort when I didn't want to go to class, just go to class, just show up, be there, and be there absorbing what's happening in the room and and it's true it's the same thing it's like why wouldn't you give yourself the best chance for success possible but people fail out of this business because a lot of the feelings i think of trying to get new clients is, is tough and so if you're someone who doesn't isn't as um uh, i don't want to say sensitive because nobody likes losing a client or no one likes somebody saying no to you but if you can think of the bigger picture and pass that, that's the other thing. Don't th- don't take things too personally. I think is um, 
is a good way to look at it too. Well, is there any other thoughts that you have, Neil, or anything else that you have to kind of add to this discussion? Well, I, I just think that, you know, I think that people can move as fast or as slow as they want to, and there's nothing um, limiting you beyond your own, beyond yourself. And so if you just get out there and are willing to learn as much as possible from the people around you and read the books and take the tests, I mean, I'm reading five books just now, and that's something I got away from for a while. The reason I'm reading five is because I don't have the attention span to stick to one from front to back, but that's okay. I'll get there um, through all five. And it's, it, that's what you got to do. You have to be hungry for information. You have to learn, and you have to look at it like, okay, well, in this situation, even if it doesn't work out exactly the way I want to, it's going to be okay because I'm going to learn for, from it. I just want to caveat that with saying, if you're working with clients, you don't want to be learning with client dollars. And that's why you got to reach out and talk to people because um, a lot of times when the people that you'll be helping in the beginning aren't going to have all the money in the world, and so the advice isn't there. So just just be an advocate for that client. Treat them like, treat them like you would want to be treat, treated if, if you were... If you were going to someone for help with this stuff, and and I think um, I think that's where the magic happens is when you you're really taking care of people, but you're not doing it for them. You got to they've got to do it with you. It's their money and their lives too, um, and you just bring all the resources that you have available. And if you don't have them, bring other resources in to help you with those clients. I think that's the biggest thing. Don't just try and lone ranger it out there because. It, it it's people's financial lives. I mean, it's people's lives, you know. You can't, you don't want to be that person who who makes that mistake. And maybe you get by for a few years, but it'll catch up with you probably too, you know. Where have you gone to find these people? Like, you know, you keep talking about, you know, all the, the network and everything like that. Where, where do people find that? The professional network? Yes. That's a good question. Um, so once I passed the CFP, uh, one of my mentors got me involved in the Financial Planning Association. And I kind of went a little bit kicking and screaming. I, I mean, I was like, okay, fine, I'll go to this, whatever. And uh, and, I, and I just kind of, I did it. I participated. I, you watch the people around you. You you learn about what they care about through the questions they ask. And it just... Um, so that so that's a place, the FPA. I know CFP board's coming out with a new financial planning center. I think it's them that are hosting it. So it seems like that's going to be a good place for young people to go because they're going to have job postings, and it's pretty cheap for advisors to put a posting up there. Um, but just talk – I mean, I, I literally picked up the phone and called people in my area. And was like, well, what are you doing and why? What's your experience? I mean, um, and you just start to learn how people think and what they, they're thinking about and then merge that with what you're thinking and um, see if you can get some action items out of it. And you don't know what you – you don't know what you don't know unless you get out there and talk to people. It's like learning curve, right? 
when you first learn something, you might be nervous because you, or when you're learning because you don't understand it. And then once you learn it, now you might have a whole lot of confidence. And that's great, except you might not have been around long enough now because the next stage is you start learning what you don't know. And that's the stage you want to get to. When you realize, holy smokes, this body of knowledge in order to do this is is huge, and I don't know everything about it, but it's okay. How do I get there? And you start talking with people that do know and ask them how they got there and um, and and figure out your path from there. Because when I did it and when the 60-year-old advisors did it, it was totally different than what you guys have to do. So you got to make it your own, but do it ethically, and, um, and don't give up. Thanks for joining us on our first episode. We really appreciate our guest, Neil Maxwell, and you can find him at maxwellwealthplanning.com. The official meetup schedule is posted at fpadfw.org. For other episodes, show notes, relevant links, and to join our email list to be the first to know of upcoming news and events, you can visit us at hannahmoorecfp.com. Thanks for listening.